0: Plushcare.com slash weightloss. The History Today cover story for December is by Jacob Norris, lecturer in Middle East history at the University of Sussex and author of Land of Progress, Palestine in the Age of Colonial Development, published by Oxford University Press. Jacob looks at the real Bethlehem, the city celebrated by Christians as the birthplace of Christ. First of all, Jacob, where exactly is Bethlehem?
1: Uh, well, Bethlehem is in uh, what is today usually referred to as the West Bank, which is part of the occupied Palestinian territories, which have been under um, a state of Israeli military occupation since 1967. So effectively in that area of Palestine, which is which is a state in waiting but still undetermined in its status.
0: And very close to Jerusalem.
1: Yeah, it lies... Um, about six miles to the south of the old city of Jerusalem, um, but today the kind of sprawl of southern Jerusalem almost extends
0: into Bethlehem itself, so it's just it's just south of Jerusalem. Now you pick on three themes in your article, which I think illuminate different aspects of the town, um, three dimensions to it. The first of which is its Arab-Palestinian identity.
1: That's correct, yeah. I think um, one of the points that I've tried to make in the article... Um, is that, well, certainly Bethlehem as a town and uh, in terms of its residents have kind of a multifaceted identity. But one of the most um, salient uh, aspects of that identity is a strong sense of being Palestinian, which relates to a wider sense of an Arab um, national community which has been in formation for at least the past 120 years or so.
0: And this Other aspect of it that you pick up on, which is very unusual for the Middle East, is the Roman Catholic identity of of Bethlehem as well.
1: That's right, yeah. So in some ways, we should place uh, Bethlehem and its residents within this wider um, Palestinian and Arab milieu. But at the same time, the town has a number of quite unique features uh, for the region in which it's located. And and one of those is a very uh, strong connection, historically speaking, to Catholic Europe. And this is particularly the product of the long-standing Franciscan uh, presence in the town. Um, for, a, for a variety of reasons, the Franciscans had more success in Bethlehem in terms of um, conversion um, to their denomination than they did anywhere else in the region.
0: And how do historians explain that?
1: Well, Essentially, historians haven't really explained it because it's been a very understudied topic. So you have, all over the eastern Mediterranean, you have various, um, what we might call broadly speaking, Catholic groups of Christians in a uniate sense, so loosely affiliated to the Roman Catholic Church, but nevertheless um, with a sort of a, a locally homegrown indigenous aspect to their denomination. Whereas in Bethlehem, what you find um, for at least the past 250 years is that the majority of the Christians there have been direct um, adherents to the to the Roman Catholic right, so they are sort of straight Roman Catholics um, in that sense. So historians have placed a lot of attention on those Uniate groups, particularly further north, the Maronites in Lebanon, and um, the the Melkites or Greek Catholics, who uh, historically have been clustered around Aleppo and the surrounding region. But so relatively little work, or very little work, has been carried out on the um, on the direct Roman Catholics um, who have um, who have been particularly prominent in Bethlehem.
0: And is this the majority um, religious group in Bethlehem?
1: It is. It is, in a sense. Um, Today, the the demographics have changed somewhat. In in Bethlehem itself, um, there is now a Muslim majority, and that's the product of of essentially post-1948 migration to the town. But if we go back into the pre-1948 period, going back at least as early as the sort of um, the mid-Byzantine era, the majority of Bethlehem has been Christians, and then within that picture, within that Christian picture, since the picture is still somewhat hazy, but since at least the late 1600s, the majority of those Christians appear to have been um, Roman Catholics. And what this has done is allowed a particularly close series of connections between Bethlehem's residents, Bethlehem's local inhabitants, um, and and, and, and actors um, in, in, in Catholic Europe, particularly Italy, and in, in later centuries, the 18th and 19th centuries, France as well. And, and how does that reveal itself? In the migrations that have, that have marked Bethlehem's history over the, over the last two or three centuries.
0: And how does that show itself in the town?
1: Um, well, one of the most prominent ways that that manifests itself is in the establishment of what we might call um, a souvenir cottage industry in Bethlehem. From at least as early as the 1500s, but probably earlier, Bethlehem became the centre of production for an artisanal industry in producing religious devotional objects, mostly Christian devotional objects. And, and as you move into the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries, as the European pilgrimage and tourism to the region, to the Holy Land, becomes more uh, pronounced, and this industry is increasingly geared towards Catholic Europe. Um, And what this does, not only does it create the industry in Bethlehem itself, but it allows the town's residents to begin selling those products abroad, especially from the mid-19th century onwards, and leads to this remarkable um, sort of global array of migrations that take place um, from the 19th century onwards.
0: Because this is one of the most fascinating things about Bethlehem, is you have this little town, as we call it, of course, um, and yet it has this whole global dimension to it.
1: Very much so, yeah, very much so. And it's worth pointing out that those migrations in the 19th century are part of a much wider trend across the Eastern Mediterranean, particularly in the Arab provinces of the Ottoman Empire. Um, from usually it's dated to roughly the 1870s onwards, um, people, particularly Christians but also Muslims, begin migrating out of the Ottoman Empire in quite large numbers towards the end of the 19th century. And there's a fair amount of there's an interesting emerging historical literature on this much of which focuses on the Lebanese, uh, or the Lebanese in today's terms, we tend to dominate that migration, and they tend to be their migrations tend to be focused across the Atlantic, particularly towards North America. Now, so the Bethlehemites are part of those migrations, but they kind of shed new light on those migrations. On the one hand, because their their sort of array of destinations is much more global; they're going across the Indian Ocean through the, through the Suez Canal, as far as the Philippines, Australia, as I've mentioned in the article. Um, They're also clustered around South and Central America in much greater numbers. The other way that the Bethlehem migrations challenge some of the existing literature on this migration is in um, the fact that actually migration doesn't suddenly begin around the 1860s or 1870s. You can trace it going back much further through time into the 18th century, and I've even uncovered um, attempts, at least by Bethlehemites, to to travel to Rome to sell their religious wares, in the 1690s. So we need to see it more as a long-standing history of, flu- of quite fluid movements and connections, especially with Catholic Europe.
0: And one of the uh, real manifestations of this with Catholic Europe was the trade in Mother of Pearl, which has become very much associated with Bethlehem, is not it?
1: Very much so, yeah. Um, this is uh, the sort of changing trends in the in the um, souvenir industry as you move through the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. So, if you look at the goods being produced, for example, um, in the early 17th century, and they're mostly carved from, from olive wood, a local raw material, um, and they tend to have small Mother of Pearl inlays that is most famous in, the, in the, the quite exquisite church models that are produced, models of the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of the Nativity. You know, we've
0: got, yeah, we've got images of those, and they're really quite extraordinary.
1: Yeah, and, the, and the examples of them can be found all over some of you know the world's most prominent museums, stately homes, including the British Museum, the Ashmolean in Oxford. Um, they're really all over the world, and that's the sort of high end of that market. And then as you move through into the late 18th and then 19th century, you find the use of Mother of Pearl becoming more and more pronounced, so that um, by the, the early 19th century, having entire models and entire works carved, solely from Mother of Pearl. And one of the things that allows this is a new type of Mother of Pearl shell, which begins to be imported into Bethlehem. So previously the shells were coming from the Red Sea, um, relatively nearby, and they were um, much smaller shells, which allowed relatively limited forms of carving and inlay, but then when the larger shells from the Pacific, South Pacific, begin to be imported into Bethlehem, um, they allow much more detailed Large-scale kind of carvings to take place,
0: and this trade in souvenirs remains absolutely central to the economy even now, I presume.
1: Very much so. Yeah, I remember the very first time I went to Bethlehem. Um, I, I was probably expecting a more, what I considered at the time a more sort of authentic um, Palestinian West Bank experience, and I got. I remember getting off the bus and being surrounded by immediately by hawkers trying to sell souvenirs, and then the main. Street that we came in onto was lined with souvenir shops, which at first to me looked quite tacky. And some of them are very tacky. Increasingly, actually, today they're, they're imported from China, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but as I spent more and more time in the town and lived there for a while, I began to realise that actually we can't dismiss this as purely recent sort of um, mass uh, modern tourism or, or, or market catering to modern tourism. It's something which goes back a long way through Bethlehem history and is an essential part of the town's economy and has been for hundreds of years. Today Um, there's particular challenges to that tourism industry in Bethlehem through the Israeli occupation and the the restrictions on people's movements and the movement of uh, goods in and out of the town. But it still continues to be the mainstay of the the town's economy.
0: So are are tourist numbers still substantial there?
1: They are substantial, but um, it very much depends on what type of tourism you're talking about. So one of the striking features of Bethlehem today is the fact that there are many hotels in the town, but the vast majority of them for most of the year seem to be completely empty. So the type of tourism you have now coming into Bethlehem tends to be through Israeli tour companies who sort of bus tourists in for a couple of hours and take them into the manger square, whistle-stop tour of the Church of the Nativity, and then on the way out they'll stop at one of the large super souvenir stores on the outskirts of the town which are actually located just near where the, the separation wall is and they have a sort of a usually a pre-existing deal with the owners of those stores and what that means is that many of not just the hotels that people aren't staying overnight but many of the older um, producers of, of um, these religious devotional objects are simply going out of business because, because the tourists aren't visiting they're just coming in a couple of hours and then going to one of the big sort of if you like out of town super stores um, so that the sort of the, the historic centre of the town is, is relatively depressed economically
0: at the at present time. Oh Well, well thank you, Jacob, uh, for that very illuminating uh, talk. And uh, a tremendous article as well, The Real Bethlehem. It's our cover story in December. So thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you.